Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. But today, uh, I have the opportunity to share with you guys from God's Word. We're going to continue the series that we've been in for these last several months, um, a series called Little by Little. And in this series, we've been uh, studying um, through the book of Ephesians, and we've been learning how to find our identities in Christ. And not just know what it is, but learning how to walk in those identities or what it looks like to actually have an active identity in Christ, walking it out. And today we're going to continue that. Um, These last several weeks we've talked about some things that are super applicable, things that are very personal that we can put in action. We talked about wives and husbands, that, that relationship. Talked about kids and raising families. And we're going to continue talking about things that are very applicable today. Uh, we'll be in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9, to kind of give you a head start to jump over there. But to kind of help you understand where we're going today, kind of the idea behind what we're, we're talking about today, um, I want to ask you guys a couple questions. And these questions can be kind of controversial. People have a lot of opinions about it. Um, I, I want to ask you guys, if you are either public schooled or private schooled, raise your hand. Yeah, a lot of you guys. If you were homeschooled, let me see a raise of hands. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I was homeschooled. There's a lot less of us here in this room than there is public schoolers. And something that I've noticed when I was growing up being homeschooled, I was homeschooled from sixth grade to 12th grade. Um, I figured out over time that homeschoolers get a reputation. (laughs) Homeschoolers have a reputation that follows them. Not necessarily that we earn, and it's not necessarily fair, but, but we get it. Um, this reputation that we get is that homeschoolers are awkward and weird and odd, which is like so ridiculous to me, because have you ever met a kid who is not awkward and weird in your whole life? <laughs> that's not fair to just put that on homeschoolers. But that's one thing that, that we get, um, the reputation we get. Another aspect that we get is that we are um, not very smart. People think that we're just playing around all day at the house. We're not actually doing anything educational. Uh, Another thing that people believe about homeschoolers is that we're sheltered, that we've never experienced any kind of real life. Um, Another thing that we think about homeschoolers is that they missed out on life. And this is the one that frustrated me the most because people would ask me, oh, hey, Jay, where do you go to school? Oh, I'm actually homeschooled. Oh, man, I'm so sorry. Have you been to the movie theater? <laughs> yeah, I've been to the movies. Like, I've seen movies in my life. I've, I've, been, I've played sports. Like, I've been involved in stuff. I've, I'm not just, like, hiding in my room making jams and jellies with my family. I, I don't understand why, why you think that about us. So that, that would be very frustrating to me when I was growing up because that reputation was just kind of stuck to me. But the reality wasn't that way. The reality of who I was and who my friends were, it didn't match that at all. Um, me and my friends, we're normal kids. Me and my friends, we're smart kids. A bunch of my, my friends went to college, got degrees, and are doing very well in the fields that they're in. My friends were all involved in different sports. We were involved in things going on around us. We, we weren't missing out. And it was frustrating because people would think that, but it was interesting because we would talk to people, we'd get to know them. And they would hear about us, and they'd be so shocked at first, finding out about, oh, wow, you're homeschooled? You're not what I expected. And then it would slowly shift, and it would change their point of view, because that reputation didn't match the reality. 
the title of today's message is going to be The Reputation Versus the Reality. This is going to be our title because this is kind of the, the concept and the uh, heart of the reason of why Paul writes what it is that we're going to read today. Um, this is a good example of that, what I, what I just share with you guys. Paul is writing what we're reading today during a time where the perception of Christianity is not very good. It's kind of poor. People don't have a great view of it. They're not thinking very highly of it. There are a lot of concerns. People were skeptical, and they were kind of expecting Christians to disrupt society and bring some problems. They saw Christians were breaking the traditions that people just knew and were expecting, and they didn't feel comfortable with it. So there was this lot of, a lot of skepticism, and they felt like there's a lot of shadiness around what Christians were doing. So this reputation that Christians got really arose, like the reason why people thought that was because of the Christ-like lives that the Christians were living, because of the Christ-like um, example that they were putting into action in our lives. That's why people were skeptical and concerned, and it, because it challenged society. Society at that time was not used to it. So it's really interesting because society was very different than Christians. To give you guys a couple examples of that, society at this time worshipped literally hundreds of gods, hundreds of them. And the way that they had to do that, because it was all different aspects of their life, they would have to bring some kind of offering to a temple or some kind of shrine, and they have to give some kind of gift there, or they have to do some kind of ritual there in order to get this God to be pleased with them for this one little area of their life, and then they'd be blessed. That's what they believed. But Christians didn't believe that at all. Christians believed in one God who's worthy of worship, and they believed that this God gives grace through faith alone, not by works. You can't earn your way to God. You can't get stuff from God because of the stuff you do. It doesn't work like that. That's completely different than the society that they lived in. That made people uncomfortable. Um, another way that Christians were different was um, they pursued unity. This is a culture that glorifies power, and with that power came a lot of corruption and a lot of abuse. If you didn't have the right social class or social status, the right wealth amount in your bank account, then you could be basically crunched. People would step on you to get where they needed to go. There was a lot of issues that came with that. But Christians didn't believe that at all. They believed it doesn't matter whether you're a king or a peasant, whether you're rich or poor, doesn't matter what nation you came from, we all need to be united. That was very different than the society that they lived in. So Paul, with this society in mind, being a Christian, writing to Christians, is speaking on a topic that would affect everybody. Everybody would, but would be affected by what we're reading today. And luckily, it's less controversial than homeschooling. It's slavery. So we can talk about that. Um, we're going to jump on in and kind of understand what Paul is, is going to get at. Verses 5 through 9, we'll read all of it. It says, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, 
knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Our first point is just going to come from understanding why Paul wrote this. Now, point number one for today is going to be the way society views our faith should matter to us. The way society views our faith should matter to us. So this is written in 60 AD Rome, all right? This is not 2021 United States. It's very, very different. Society looks very different than the way that we live. And Paul understands this. Um, In this time, slavery was literally a part of the fabric of life in every aspect. It was a part of everybody's household, even Christians. It was completely normal. And I need to kind of explain how slavery worked and why it was so different so we can get a better understanding. Because it's not like what we typically think of as slavery. When we think of slavery, we think of like Civil War American slavery. That's what comes to mind. But it's not that. Um, This type of slavery, you could become a slave in many different ways. Uh, You could be maybe captured. Maybe a nation came that was larger than yours and they conquered you. And they would take all of the people who are really smart and really skilled, and they would make them slaves because they could produce the most. But all the other people, just, all right, keep going free, but you're a part of our stuff now. That's sort of how it went. Then, if you were born from somebody who is a slave, you are a child of a slave, then that would make you a slave. You could become a slave because you chose to become a slave. People would do that because they would say, hey, this guy has a lot of money. I have a debt that I need to pay. I will sell myself as a slave in order to pay that debt off, and I'll become a slave to this person. Or maybe you wanted to learn a skill or some kind of trade, and people would say, okay, the only way I can do that is by finding this individual. I will make myself a slave to them. We'll try to work out an agreement and hope that they stick to it, that after a certain amount of time, they'll free me or they'll give me rights to go practice this new trade or whatever that I learned um, from them, and I'll maybe give them a portion of that back over time. But slavery looked very complex. And the biggest thing that we need to understand about slavery at this time is that slaves had no rights. Free people had rights. So slaves have no rights, but what's weird about that is even as a slave, you could actually be better off than a free person. Like you could have more money, more skill, a little bit more reputation at times, even than someone who is free. You had a better life going for you, or it could be the opposite. You could be doing terrible. It just depended. It was a lot more complicated than we think. So Paul understands when he's talking to his society with slavery is ingrained in it. It's part of the fabric. He knows how they could get confused and they could come to some wrong conclusions about Christians when it came to all of this stuff. So he writes what we read today in Ephesians 6 because he's addressing these households that have Christian slaves and Christian masters and maybe both together living in the same place because he knows it's a critical part of life. And Paul is doing this because he cares about the reputation that Christians have. He wants it to be seen well. He wants people to understand it. So what he's trying to get at in writing this is he wants society to see how Christians thrive. He wants them to see how Christians and the message of Christ being received, how the truth and the spiritual freedom that comes from knowing Jesus, how that impacts people and how it brings purpose to life and it brings joy 
to life and it brings success to life. That's what Paul wants because he knows that that will begin to change the reputation that they kind of have. Now, Paul's society had that poor view, like I started it with. They had that poor view because of Christians' obedience. But today, in our culture, honestly, our culture has a poor view of Christians now because of our disobedience to Christ, not because of our obedience. If society today looks at Christians, who a lot of us here today profess to be a part of that group, we believe or we're followers of Jesus, if society today sees us as hateful and hypocritical and arrogant and lazy, that's going to be a barrier to the message of Jesus going out. That's going to be a barrier to people receiving the message of Jesus from us as the representatives of Christ. It's going to block our message from going out. Now, we can't help every opinion that people have, and we don't necessarily need to worry about every single thing that people think about us as Christians. That's not the point of what I'm saying. What I want us to understand is that we don't need to continue feeding into this. And we need to be a, a lot wiser and a lot smarter about how we're engaging with our society. And we need to take it to heart. How are they viewing us? Because we are responsible for that reputation. It's not just only random people on the fringes of Christianity. We're responsible for it too. We are the ambassadors of our faith. So we need to take it seriously. We need to understand that the reputation of Christians today doesn't always match who Christ has actually called us to be. So we need to get ourselves aligned with that and truly understand what it means. Because just like Paul was concerned about it, about how people viewed them, how society viewed it, and he's writing this so that they would understand the richness of Jesus and the message of Jesus and how Christians thrive, we need to care about it for that same exact reason, for furthering the message of Jesus. If we want more people to know him, then we need to care. Now, Paul wrote, like I said, to change the reputation, but today we actually need to obey this to change the reality of the lives we're living not just the reputation. The reality needs to shift, and then the reputation will shift. So let's read all of these verses again. We'll actually just focus on five through eight first and learn the first thing that we can do to actually change this reality. It says, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart and rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Second point for today, this is one we can really put into action in our lives. It's going to be our motivation to work determines the quality of our work. Our motivation to work determines the quality of our work. So Paul, like I said, he's writing to a very different time. He's addressing slaves and masters. We live in a very different time than that. We don't necessarily have that in our culture, but these truths still apply. These, these truths and the things that, the words that are written there, they apply to us because just like a slave, our work that we do is visible. 
The work that these slaves did is visible, is a part of everything going on in the culture. Same thing with us. And the other thing that applies is that just like a slave, the work they did was their life, work for us is the majority of our life. So this is important because people are going to see the way that we work. They're going to see the type of work that we produce. They're going to see how we engage with our jobs. This is one of the first questions that people ask us when we meet people. They're like, hey, what do you do? This is something that matters. So it needs to be done in a way that represents Christ well. And it's that majority of our life. This is a way that we're going to be spending most of our time. So we need to know how to use that well and honor God with it. So what Paul does is he asks for these slaves to do their work with a new attitude. And the attitude that he says is, hey, I want you to obey with fear and trembling and sincerity. So that's like respect and genuineness. And he says that they're to do that with goodwill, and this is the most important part of this, and as to the Lord. That was verse 7 where he said that. We're to do it as to the Lord. Now that as to the Lord part is the motivation. And that's the, the big key factor that he's trying to get across to them. The slaves had an old motivation for their work. It was actually common in their time. Um, slaves were seen to only work when people are watching or to be lazy when no one's looking. So Paul is trying to say, nope, don't be like that. Paul even wrote in there, don't do your work as a, a means of eye service or to be people pleasers, saying those are your motivations. You're just trying to get by so you don't get in trouble. You have to engage with people in your job. Maybe you're a servant in a household, so you pretend like you care about the people you're working with, but you're not sincere about it. You need to change that. That was your old motivation. You need to have a new one. And just like us, today, we have a whole bunch of motivations for why we work that aren't necessarily to do it as to the Lord. Maybe we just work for a paycheck. That's literally the reason why we go to work. That's why we see it. I just need to get paid. Or maybe our reason is to get ahead. Maybe we're in some field where we want to gain some status in. We want to grow a business out and, and have things be, be well known. And that's our main priority. That's, so that's our motivation behind our work. Maybe it's a luxury item or some big thing we want to buy. House, car, boat, TV, video game console. I don't know what it might be. But we work for that, and that's, that's our whole goal. Or it could just be to survive. That's our goal. We just want to pay our bills, but that's our motivation. Regardless, all of those motivations produce varying qualities depending on the moment. Maybe if you're just working for a paycheck, it'd be very easy to be like, well, I've worked pretty hard already this week. It's Friday. I, I've earned my money, so I'm just going to chill. Or maybe... We're working for a certain item. We've gotten what we need for that item. We check out. We're going to start cutting corners. We're going to take it easy, not do our absolute best because we got what we wanted. We don't plan to be around here much longer. So it affects the way that we work, what our motivation is. But Paul says that we're supposed to have that new motivation, which is working as to the Lord. And I want to define that term so we understand it. This is what working as to the Lord means. It means labor in character aimed at pleasing God. Labor in character aimed at pleasing God. That is how you work as to the Lord, no matter what you do. So when we work unto the Lord, the quality shifts because working unto the Lord means that we're going to pursue the highest quality because it's literally an act of worship to God now. It means that we are going to give our absolute best effort 
all the time. Because, again, we're worshiping God. We want him to be glorified by what we're doing. So we're not cutting corners. It means that we're going to be trustworthy. If we say we're going to accomplish something, we do it. If we say that we'll oversee something, we make sure that it's overseen. If we make sure and someone asks us to handle something that's maybe fragile or delicate, we do our best to take care of it. We're trustworthy. That's a way that we honor God. And then finally, we can constantly pursue growth in these things that we're doing. We're not just settling, oh, I know enough, Uh, I'm good enough here as I'm doing it. But we're actively trying to get better at it. And we're doing all of those things because we want to honor God. And it will honor God when we do that. Because that new motivation, when, when that is our heart, it means that any kind of work, literally any kind of work, can glorify God. It doesn't have to be some kind of like special spiritual work. Like, I want to give you guys an example. Right now, I'm very blessed. I'm very thankful. I get to be a pastor. I get to serve. The main thing that I do in my life is just things of, of seeking how I can um, allow the message of Jesus to be growing in our church and in our community. And I love that. But the work that I do now is no more valuable to God, and it doesn't honor him any more than when I was working as to the Lord, working in arcades and on claw machines. It's not any different than when I was working on a construction site. It's the same exact amount of glory and honor given to God on both sides because the motivation is the same. It's not the work that changes the value. It's our heart. It's the motivation. So our motivation is going to determine that quality of our work. And honestly, in our lives, when we have the right motivation, when our motivation is to honor God and it's our aim to have character that honors God and our labor and the way that we behave in our jobs, we're going to feel that motivation change us. There's going to be a joy that comes from our work that's different than the way it used to be. There's a purpose. There's a desire to be there that maybe we didn't ever have before because of that motivation. Now, we feel that, but... Our society feels the quality of our work. Our society, the people we engage with, they feel the difference in the quality of what we're producing. And it starts to shift their perspective, starts to open their eyes a little bit, starts to break down some barriers and make them a little bit more open to the truth of of Jesus and what we need and want to share with them, what they ultimately need. And this motivation that I've talked about, that we should be applying to our work. This motivation should not just stay there, though. It should actually spill out into everything that we do. It should go way beyond that and go into the character of every single aspect of life. And that's what Paul is really getting at when he speaks to the masters. Um, we're going to read verses 8 and 9 once more. It says, Knowing that whatever good anyone does... This he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Third point, third thing for us to put into action in our lives is if God is your master, the focus shifts from your rights to your righteousness. If God is your master, the focus shifts from your rights 
to your righteousness. So Paul is actually doubling down on pretty much exactly what he just said to the slaves. He's really talking about the motivation that they have to, to do what they do, that they need to be living unto the Lord. That's what he's trying to get at. And what he says to them is, hey, I understand that slaves belong to their masters, and I've already addressed them. But then he says, but both of you, both you as a slave and you as a master, you both belong to Christ. Both of you are essentially slaves to him. He's your master. And he's saying that you as masters are in the exact same boat as those slaves. Everything I just said to them basically applies to you too. You guys need to do the same. Now, for them, they would need to understand with that in mind that they should be putting honoring God and what he's asked them to do to be pursuing righteousness, that that should be their number one priority over literally everything else. So what Paul said in verse 9, what we read there, that would have ruffled a lot of feathers. It would have probably upset people. Because he said, stop your threatening. There's no partiality with God. That would be hard to hear because socially in their time, more than acceptable to threaten your slave. It's more than acceptable to beat your slave, to overwork them. Of course you could do that. No one would bat an eye. If you were standing right next to somebody and they were doing that to their slave, you wouldn't think twice about it. It was socially acceptable. But not only that, it was legally acceptable. It was a legal right to do that. Masters had the legal right to treat their property however they wanted. They can threaten their slave to get them to work. It would be no different in our day of the way that we think about, oh, I need to go outside so I can twist the ignition of my car to make sure it starts going. That's how they viewed it. It's my property. I needed it to do what it needs to do. I have the legal right to do that. That's what people thought. That's how these masters were living. So it was their legal right to do that. And then on top of that, the master's legal status had way more value than the slave did in their culture. Like I started off by saying, slaves had no rights, literally none. The masters had rights. So what Paul is saying right there, by saying there is no partiality with God, he's saying you guys are the same in God's eyes. You're not different. You need to see things differently. So Paul is saying you guys need to take a good hard look at how you're using your rights that you may have. You may be legally okay and socially okay, but it's, it's not actually ultimately okay. And it reminds me what's in 1 Corinthians 10.23 that says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Just because these masters were operating in their lawful rights didn't mean that it was righteous. It didn't make it righteous. It didn't mean that it was good. Now, just because we live in the United States, and just because our rights look a whole lot different than the rights that they had back then and society looks different, we would be foolish to think that this truth isn't any more the same for us, that it doesn't still apply. God cares much more about our righteousness and the way that we are living and if we're honoring him with the things we're doing, then he cares about your rights as a citizen of the United States. I know that this is touchy and for a lot of us start getting on edge. Even me saying it, I feel like, I don't like that. It makes me uncomfortable. 
I'm thankful for our rights as Americans in the United States. I truly am. I'm thankful for any of you here today who have served in the military, who fight for those rights. I'm very thankful for that. I understand that the rights that we have in the United States afford us many, many blessings to do what we do as Christians that people don't have in other areas of the world at all. I understand that the way that we get to live because of our rights in the United States is different than any other place in the world. And I understand that all of that has value and that it's important. I get that. But we don't always use our rights the best ways. We don't always use them in ways that are God-honoring. We, a lot of times, justify our actions based on our rights as citizens in the United States instead of justifying what we do on what Christ has actually asked us to do. I have kind of a thing that's challenging for us to hear, but it's something I've been thinking about, and it's that if you can't exercise your rights without compromising your righteousness, you need to think twice about what you're doing. And that's hard for us. I know right now a lot of us are constantly talking about these things. And like I said, there, there is value to it. But as soon as we begin to compromise our righteousness, things fall apart. And there's a reason for that. Righteousness should be our priority. I want to kind of explain, because if we're going to live right, righteous lives, we need to know just a few things at least of where to start of what that actually means. Righteousness is honoring our parents. It's stuff we've been reading in Ephesians. It's taking care of our parents. It's not disrespecting them. Righteousness is pursuing sexual purity, not engaging with pornography, not engaging with sex outside of marriage. It's aligning our lives sexually with what God has said is right. That's what we need to do. It's not looking and lusting after people that we watch pass by us. Righteousness is sexual purity. Righteousness is not having dirty language as a part of our lives, both in swearing and cussing and also the content of what we speak. Righteousness is abstaining from that, pushing that out, saying, no, that's not what God's called me to. I'm going to use language that builds up, that encourages, that brings life, that's honorable to God. That's where righteousness is. And then ultimately, righteousness is having the boldness to live out faith. Righteousness is not keeping your faith hidden in a closet behind a curtain where no one sees it, but genuinely understanding, hey, culturally, there's things that we believe that society is not going to be super hyped about, but I'm going to still live it. I'm going to still do it. I'm going to apply it to my life. I'm going to be bold about it. That's walking in righteousness. And we do that because it's not our societal rights that are going to change hearts for Jesus. It's not all of the things we can spout off online politically about our rights as citizens of the United States, that's going to change people's hearts about Jesus. That's not what's going to do it. What's going to change people's hearts, what's going to impact people, is the witness of people living out their faith, walking in righteousness, sharing the truth of Jesus in ways that are kind, in ways that are honorable, in ways that build up. The truth is still hard to hear, the truth hurts sometimes. It's not pleasant to hear all the time and people will be offended. We can't help all of that, but we need to take it more seriously. We need to understand what it is that we're actually doing because it's that righteousness that makes the impact. It's not forced on people. We're not telling people, hey, you need to start doing this and then everything's gonna be all right. Then you're gonna be in the right place. Then everything's gonna work out. Then God will care about you. 
That's not what we're doing. We're engaging righteousness in our own lives first. That's where we're prioritizing it. And when we strive for that righteousness and we live lives that are working unto the Lord in the, our workplaces and then in our character and the rest of our, our lives, that's when God will be honored. That's when God's going to be glorified. That's when God is going to begin to work through Christians and through the church to make an impact in Clarksville and in our country, unlike anything we've ever seen. But it takes us taking these truths seriously. The reputation versus the reality of Christians is going to hinge on what it is that we do. We have an active choice in that. So I want to leave you guys with one question. This is one of my favorite things to do. And this is a hard question. Um, it won't be on the screens today. You'll have to just write it down. But the question will be, does the reputation you're building match up with who Christ's called us to be? Does the reputation you're building match up with who Christ's called us to be? We need to take that question seriously. We need to put that as a priority in our lives. If we do that, if we take a good hard look and we begin to implement these truths and we take what was written in these verses seriously, then we'll see the reputation of Christians change. We'll see the reality of the lives we live change. And God will be honored and he will be glorified. And we can praise him for that. We can glorify him for that. I'm gonna close here and, and just... Uh, a prayer here in just a second, but I just want to encourage you guys. I don't want to leave you guys here today feeling broken and upset necessarily. I want you guys to leave encouraged knowing there's still time. As long as we're here, God has still given us the chance to change that perspective, to change their reputation, and to live a different reality. And that should be something we're excited about because when we see that change happen, it will be such a joy to see our friends and our family and our employees and our employers begin to change their perspective and to see the lives around us become different because the spiritual truth of who Jesus is and what he's done has been accepted. And that's something to be excited about. Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.